0: Uh, We're in this series called Life Changer, and uh, uh, there's a lot of promises in the world in terms of what will change your life. I was just uh, looking up earlier some of the options. Okay, here are some life changers for you. Uh, You can now get a waterproof notepad for your shower, which could be significant, a footrest hammock. So you can kind of lift your feet up under the desk, and a little hammock, that's clever, an LED temperature tap. You've seen that? So if it's cold, then it's blue. The water's kind of turned blue, and if it gets warmer, it progressively gets redder, which, you know, could be useful. A crisp bag resealer. We were, I was, Mike and I were at a church last Sunday, and the bag of crisps, that, that was like each, that we got was five times the size of an English bag of crisps. We needed a resealer for that one. Uh, hidden flask tie. This is one of my favorites for those of you that wear a tie to work. You can put a flask inside your tie with a little discreet straw. You can have a little drink while having the drink in your tie. I think that's a life changer. Um, what else? Hands-free umbrella. That's really weird. I don't want to explain that. Um, Light-up slippers, especially for parents who have to go to children at night who play with Lego. You want to stand on Lego barefoot, uh, only do that once. So light up slippers. And my favorite is the anti-theft lunch bag. So it's like a little Ziploc bag. You put your sandwich in, but in the plastic, it's got this kind of moldy look. So no one's going to steal your lunch because it looks moldy. But you know that it isn't. I think that's quite clever. These are life changers, apparently. And we're doing this series, and, and I don't want to overstate things. Well, I kind of do. Jesus is better than those options. Okay, when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about what the Bible says. It doesn't say to us, here's a little product that's going to make your life slightly more convenient. In fact, what Jesus says is, I have come that you may have life, life to the full, which is a pretty major promise. And so as we're going through these first chapters of John's gospel, we're thinking about Jesus being a life changer and if he's going to be the ultimate life changer, then it's not really about how we can get a little drink at work or how we can make sure our food is still in the fridge come lunchtime. It's going to need to be much, much bigger than that. In fact, I was thinking about it. It kind of works in two directions. There's the part of us that looks back and we say, you know what? My life is heavy because of my past, things that I've done things that I've experienced, things that I shouldn't have done, the skeletons in the closet, the guilt that weighs me down, the shame, the regret, all of that stuff, if Jesus is really going to change my life, he's got to do something about that, about all the past and all the failure and all the falling short. I mean, let's face it, even before we bring God into the the equation, just by our own standards we fall short. The things that we've set out to do for ourselves, our New Year's resolutions, our turning over a new leaf, uh, this time I'll get it right, this marriage I'll make it work. And all those things where we set standards for ourselves, we fall short of those, don't we? And then you put a holy God into it and you sort of go, oh my goodness, I have fallen so far short. There's just so much failure, so much what the Bible calls sin, guilt, all of that mixed up in us. If Jesus is a life changer, he's got to deal with that. And at the same time, as looking back, we look forward and say, well, my life could amount to something, but, but I'm inadequate. I, I'm not prepared. I'm not good enough. I, I don't have what it takes. I think all of us at some level will admit that we're kind of living life trying to hide the fact that we're not capable of really living life. You know, Whether it's just the, the overwhelmed feeling that many of us live with every single day. We're just, oh, I'm inadequate for this. Or whether it's the, the bigger things of, of challenges that we don't feel that we can face. And, and so we just hold back and we hold back and we kind of close down and we put on the mask and we pretend all is well. But that sense of guilt from the past, that sense of inadequacy for the future. When someone says, I'm going to give you life to the full, we kind of say, go on then you've got a pretty big task ahead of you if you're going to give me life to the full because I'm not there and I need help desperately. And so the passage we're looking in is John chapter 1. If you want to grab a Bible, there's a number of them you might need to share with the person next to you or whatever. John chapter one's is on page 886. And I suppose the... The thing is, if we're going to say, okay, Jesus is the life changer, then then we look back and we look forward and we say, okay, the task is great. The change that is needed is massive. And so where do we look? The world will say, look within. You ever heard that? Kind of the Oprah message, just look within. You have everything that you need within you. And it only takes a few minutes of being realistic about life to realize that is absolute nonsense. I do not have within me what it takes to function for the next 10 minutes, effectively. So that's not an answer. John's gospel tells us to look up. It tells us to look up to to God, to who he is, to to the reality of, of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the relationship that they have, and to say, look, that is where you should be looking. But at the same time, John's gospel says to us, that's hard, isn't it? Like, how do you see a God you cannot see? And so, as well as looking up, it says, look at Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have access to that God. Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh and became one of us. The last two weeks, we've been in the first 18 verses. Thinking about Jesus, the word of God, in whom was light, and that light was the life of men, and he came to his own, and he took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. He became one of us so that we could be introduced to God. It's amazing, actually, thinking about that father-son relationship. I'll just save you a little bit of counting. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks 418 sentences, all right, so in quotes, Jesus speaking 418 sentences. How many times, or how many of those sentences is he talking about the relationship that he has with his father? The answer is 192. That's almost 50%, almost half of every sentence Jesus speaks in this book. He's talking about the father and the son and the son and the father. And what you find after a while is that you're drawn to that relationship. You find yourself kind of going, "Wow, there's something special there. There's there's life there," and that is exactly where life is to be found. It's in that relationship, in that reality of who God is. And John's Gospel, from beginning to end, is saying that Jesus makes that available to us. That's amazing. Isn't that astonishing that people like us, with our past, with our inadequacies, with all of the baggage that we carry around, are invited into the love relationship that is God the Trinity, Father and Son by the Spirit. And so let's look at uh, this passage. We're in chapter 1, verse 19, and the first 18 verses that have already been covered, I call, this is not a technical term, but I call that the smoke machine section. It's kind of like if there was a stage production of John's gospel, there would be smoke on the stage and you'd hear a voice explaining some things and there'd be a couple of characters, but it wouldn't be quite clear yet. But then uh, you get to the end of that. Jesus hasn't been mentioned by name yet. It's all a little bit ooh, interesting themes, ideas, and then the smoke clears and characters walk onto the stage. We get to see real people kind of right in front of us if we're watching John's gospel. And the first character that strides out is this guy that was already mentioned, John the Baptist. And so starting at verse 19, um, let's just read down through to verse 28. I'll read, you you follow along. So uh, it says, the testimony of John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, that is some of the religious leaders, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So you can kind of imagine the scene, right? There's this guy called John who's a little bit strange in in some ways, uh, dressed a little bit funny, probably a huge beard, and he's there in the river and he's preaching and he's proclaiming and, and it's like, man, he's getting an audience, People were heading out. They were standing there and listening to him preach. They were drawn to his message. I mean, this was a significant moment. For the nation of Israel, they'd had about 400 years of just turmoil, of political changes, of wars, of battles, of all this stuff. But what they hadn't had was a man from God. For four centuries, no prophet, no angels, no kind of war action that would kind of get them excited uh, spiritually, just nothing. And suddenly there's this guy preaching and the crowds are flocking to hear him. And so the religious leaders say, we've got to figure out what's going on. So they sent some of their kind of low level workers down to the, the river and they come up to John and they say, basically two questions. First question, who are you? Now I love John the Baptist, I, mean, I, I'm, I think he's a little bit strange, but I do love his character because there's something about him where he is absolutely clear that his job is not to focus on himself. He's just consistent, we'll see that in these chapters over the next weeks. John the Baptist is all about Jesus. Jesus. He's not, like, trying to get a following. He's not trying to build his, you know, kind of fan base or, uh, or any of that stuff. I mean, his Twitter feed was fairly low. There's not much going on with John. And, and, and yet John had the potential in that moment to attract a huge crowd. And so when they came to him and said, who are you, he could have been kind of vague. Oh, well, I'm from God. Oh, he's from God. You know, he could have fanned the flames of the hype, He could have built his celebrity for a few weeks. He could have have become somebody. All the rumors would have spread if he had just, you know, you can say things without lying. You know, you can just sort of subtly say it. He could have done that. He could have subtly hinted that he was something more than he was. And yet he said, bold and clear, just to the point, I am not the Christ. I know you're probably thinking it. You're anticipating the coming of the Christ, not me. And they were like, okay, so... Elijah, Elijah was predicted to come before the Christ. So, so are you Elijah? No, I'm not. All right, then are you the prophet? They're getting a bit confused now, going back to Deuteronomy, which really is referring to the Messiah, the Christ. But he says, no, I'm not that either. And they're like, okay, then who in the world are you? And his answer is to go back to the book of Isaiah and to quote this verse in Isaiah chapter 40, which is an amazing thing really, because in Isaiah 40, God had just told the nation, this is 700 years ago, right, before Jesus, long time back. Isaiah had told the nation, or God had really told the nation, you're going to go into exile. You're going to be taken away. It's going to be a disaster. But don't panic because God is going to lead you home. And so there is going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a path, prepare a highway, Bring the mountains down, raise the valleys up, make a straight path because God is going to lead the people home. And John points to that passage and he says, I'm a voice in the wilderness crying out, Make straight the highway, the path for the Lord. You see, what he's saying is, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm just a voice. I'm not the big deal here. But I am the voice that prepares the way for the coming of God. And so even as you read Isaiah 40, you don't stop on verse 3 and go, ooh, there's a voice. As you're reading through it, you go, there's a voice because God's coming. And by verse 5, you're thinking about the glory of God. And Isaiah is just like that. Sorry, John the Baptist is just like that. He's saying, don't fixate on who I am. I'm just a voice. Who's coming after me is what matters. And so they said, all right, second question. Why are you baptizing if you're not a big deal? If you're not this great prophet, why are you baptizing people? And what was going on was that he was there with the water of the river and people were coming and they were saying, John, we like your message. We want to identify with your message. We want to say we're in. If it's about preparing the nation for the coming of God's Messiah, the coming of God himself, we're in. We want to be completely in. And so he's like, all right, come on in. And he's dunking them in the water and they're coming out. And and it was kind of this ritual thing of identification that we're part of what he's preaching about. We're, We're there. We're ready. And so they said, why are you doing that? And then he says, basically, just like I'm just a voice, he says, this is just water. Okay, this is just, I'm just baptizing with water, but the point is the person that's coming after me. And the way he describes it, I think, is beautiful. He says, there's one standing among you that you don't know whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So if you think about kind of a stratification of human roles... All right, You have the king at the very top of the pyramid, and, and right at the bottom, you have the menial servant who would have to deal with the dirty stuff like feet. Okay, so you've got the king right the way down to the lowest slave who undoes the shoes. And John the Baptist says, there's somebody coming who is so much above me and beyond me, so much more significant than me, that I, as a human, am not even worthy to untie his sandals. It's like he's in a completely different category, which must have made them think, right? Who is this that's coming? This is just a voice preparing the way for God. And there's someone coming whose whose identity, whose person is is beyond my sandal untying ability. Not that the sandals are tricky, but, but the identity is so significant. And so all the way through, John is pointing to what comes next. Now, let me just pause, if you like, in the text and say, okay, hang on a minute, is this what baptism is? Because we've mentioned baptism recently. We've got a baptism coming up in the next few weeks at some point. And you kind of go, well, hang on, what, what's the deal? Is, is our baptism the same as this baptism? And technically, it isn't. John the Baptist was preparing the nation for Jesus' coming, but it was a, a dunking in the water that, that was about being all in for his message, looking forward to Jesus. And so in a sense, the baptism that we have is very much the same, but it's looking back. It's a, I'm all in because of Jesus. And so when we have a baptism, let me just explain it. I know there's quite a number of you here uh, who love the Lord, who are Christians, who are following him, who are part of his family, but you've never been baptized. Maybe you've never been to a baptism. So let me explain how we're going to work that. When, When Jesus left, he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So there's an expectation that people who are in with Jesus, who are like, yep, I'm forgiven, I'm part of the family, is an expectation that we'll get baptized. You read through the book of Acts, and, and there's uh, several times references to people becoming Christians who are then immediately baptized. It's like the obvious, just the next thing to do. It just makes sense. did to them. To us, let me explain what that looks like. If you want to get baptized, we'll, we'll connect with you, have a conversation. Basically, what we need to know is that you're actually a Christian, that you've trusted Christ for your salvation, that you've said, I'm giving up all plans to fix my own life. I'm giving up all plans to try to make the good, outweigh the bad, or any of that stuff. I'm just trusting completely that Jesus died on the cross for me, and he's forgiven me for my sins, and he's made me a part of the family of God. It's not anything that I've done. It's not a commitment I've made. It's all about him, and so we're just... Chat it through and make sure that you understand what salvation is and that you're in. And then what we'll do is we'll, we haven't done this yet, but we're trying to figure out how to do it. We want to do a testimony where you get to say that Jesus is my savior, that he's changed my life and I love him, however you want to phrase it. And we want to get that on video because standing in front of a church full of people is scary. All right, there's probably some of you sat here right now thinking, I'm so glad he's preaching and not me. Okay, because public speaking is not easy, but we want people to hear that you love Jesus and that he's changed your life. So we want to get that on video so that we can then show that at the baptism so you don't have to do the whole awkward speech thing in front of people. People can see you in a more relaxed state saying that, you know, Jesus is your savior and, you know, however it's phrased. And then there'll be a pool of water, not here because... Ironically, we can't do it in a swimming pool like the Olympiad, so we've got to go somewhere else. But there'll be a pool of water, and we'll walk into the water, and it could be me or Andy or Tim or somebody else that, you know, you can almost pick who you want to baptize you. We're super flexible. And we'll just say to you something along the lines of, Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Are you identifying completely with Him? Something like that. And your answer, this is the only public speaking bit, will be yes. Nice and simple, just a really short answer. And then we'll, we'll hold your hand, uh, maybe the back of your head, whatever, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll say, you know, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll go, and we'll go down, and then we'll bring you up, I promise. And then as you're wiping your face, everybody will be really happy. It's the funnest thing. But it's like a big old testimony. It's a declaration to the world. I'm with Jesus. Just like Jesus died and was buried and rose to life, I died with him, and I've risen to life with him, and he's everything to me. And so it's just a, it's just a little thing, but it's a big thing, and, and, and we're excited about that. And if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, and you say, I'm in the family, but you haven't been baptized yet, please talk to us about it. We'd love to have uh, lots of people baptized at the next baptism. Okay, So that's kind of like what John was doing, but after Jesus has died and and risen. John was anticipating. So let's go back to the text. Verse 29, because this is where Jesus walks out on stage. This is the exciting bit, really. Everything else is built up. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. So here's the Jesus bit. Jesus walks through the crowd the next day, and immediately John recognizes who he is. Not just, it's Jesus, my cousin, but He saw something that made it evident and clear that this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And you notice what he calls him? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that an amazing thought? You see, the Old Testament, it's like... 4,000 years of history, and that means millions and millions of killed lambs, all the sacrificial system that the Jews had, that God had set up for them to say, look, your sin is serious. When you mess up, when you, when you steal, when you commit adultery, when you do all these things you know, and your life is just a mess, you bring a lamb and, and you hand it over and you say, God, would you forgive my sins because of the blood that this lamb is going to shed? And it's kind of horrible. It's the point of it? It's supposed to be horrible. The priest would take the lamb and slit its throat and shed the blood of the lamb. And it would be an offering to God to say, please don't give me what I deserve. Please don't punish me for my sin. Look, here's a lamb. And then the next year, here's another one. And the next year, here's another one. And it goes all the way back to when the nation was in Egypt. And they were there. And remember the ten plagues? You may have seen Prince of Egypt or something. The ten plagues were happening. And the tenth of them was the death of the firstborn. And God said to the people of Israel, actually he said it to everyone, but the Egyptians didn't do it, if you don't want your firstborn to die, then pick a lamb, the best perfect lamb you can, and watch it to make sure it's perfect. And then you take the lamb and you kill it and you wipe its blood on the door. And when the destroyer comes over the nation, I'm going to guard you so that the destroyer can't touch your firstborn. And that became a part of the annual cycle for the Jews, every Passover, every Passover. They would take a lamb, and they'd kill it, and they'd eat it, and they'd remember how God had stopped the destroyer from killing people. It's amazing that now Jesus was here, and John was pointing to him and saying, look, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just as God had protected their firstborn sons, he was going to give his firstborn son. To die a death, he did not deserve to die, so that as his blood was poured out, it wasn't for his sin, but it was for your sins and for my sins, for not just sins, but sin, the whole deal, sin of the whole world. He's going to carry it away. Isn't that an amazing offer? Look at him, Jesus. This is a life changer because he takes away the sin of the world. Just, Just take a moment to let that sink in. All those things you've done, thoughts you've had, words you've said, things you've failed to have done, all the things you regret, that time when you took that thing from work and, and you knew it was stealing, but you took it, all sin. That that time when when you said words and as you spoke them, you knew you were lying, you were deceiving, you were directing somebody away from the truth, but you followed through and you never were able to fix it because you can't fix these things. All sin, the thoughts that you've had about him or about her, the images that you've watched where you click and you know you shouldn't and then you click some more and before you know it, you've been just swimming in the filth. All sin. The time you got angry at your child or at your spouse or, or at a friend and what came out of your mouth shocked you, let alone them. All sin. Those times where you were proud because you thought you'd handled yourself well. Where you thought, God owes me now because I've been to church. All sin. Whether it's ugly, whether it's gross, whether it's huge, whether it's tiny, whether it's self-righteous, whether it's, it's just so shocking that it's buried in a closet and you don't want it to ever come out. All sin. All sin. The hymn writer said, My bliss, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Jesus is a life changer because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, every sin that you've ever committed or ever will, ever thought about committing, ever dreamed of committing, every sin, all sin, dealt with. That's amazing, isn't it? Fully, finally, freely, forever, forgiven, all because of Jesus. Nothing we could do. We can never fix it. We can never outweigh the bad with the good because somehow the bad just remains there, doesn't it? We can never undo the damage we've done. We can never buy back the time that we've lost. All of those things we cannot do anything about, but Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that's not the only thing he does. That's the looking back stuff, if you like. That's the the guilt and the heaviness within. But what about the emptiness? What about the inadequacy? What about the loneliness? What about the, I can't live life to the full because I'm not somehow quite good enough. Notice what else it says that Jesus is going to do. As God is preparing John the Baptist, he says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John was dunking people in water, which was just water. But Jesus was going to pour out the Holy Spirit into those that trusted him. And this is really hard to get our heads around because we've lived our whole lives from birth unaware that actually we're not really fully alive. We think we're alive because we pick what socks to wear or you know what cereal to have for breakfast. And it's exciting. Granted, some cereals are thrilling. But, but that's not alive. Not alive when, when we were designed to be in that relationship that Jesus enjoyed with his father. In John's gospel, it talks about Jesus saying, I in you, Father, and Father, you in me, and, and the love with which you loved me, and, and I love you, and I, I love the glory that you give me because you love me. And there's this beautiful description. Remember, almost half of the sentences of John's gospel are describing this relationship between the Father and the Son, which is bonded and united by the Spirit connecting them. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full. He's come to give us the Holy Spirit. He's come to give us that relationship. In fact, in John 17, it says, this is life. Literally, this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent true life is to be brought into the relationship of God. And that's what the Spirit does. He, he pours out into our hearts the love of God. He reminds us. He whispers to us. He, he nudges us and he shares with us constantly the fact that the, the Father loves us and Jesus has died for us and, and he wants you to know that you could just, just talk to your Father. Just call him Daddy. Just, just say, hey, Dad, and just talk to him. You can call him Dad now. And the Spirit does this within us, empowering us to speak for Jesus and to live for him. All that we read about later in the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to make that possible and so we've got no I'm inadequate excuse as believers even though we don't realize it those of us that have trusted Christ we've got the Holy Spirit and gradually through this life we learn what that is and when we step into eternity it's going to be like whoa I had no idea it's going to be like that caterpillar that goes into the cocoon And then comes out with wings. Wow, didn't see that one coming. Knowing Jesus, having our past dealt with, our sin taken away, completely wiped clean, no record of it. Having that completely gone and then to have that relationship with God by the Spirit. That's like going from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly. We discover that we can fly. Not literally, not yet. But we discover what we were intended to be. And it's all wrapped up in Jesus. He's the one that's come to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He's the one that's come to, to dunk you in the Holy Spirit, to give the Spirit of God to you so you can enjoy relationship with him. But I want you to notice one more thing before we finish. Here's John the Baptist, who actually is a significant person. Okay, he's he's a, a heavyweight, if you like, among humans, according to Jesus. In another passage, But here, notice what it says in verse 31. I myself did not know him. Then in verse 33, I myself did not know him. Jesus to look at was incredibly normal. Just looked like a normal Jewish man. Normal shaped nose, normal height, normal hair, normal physique. He just looked completely normal. And John the Baptist, his cousin, said, I didn't know him. God revealed it to me who he was and actually all of us here who do know him would say I would never have got there on my own God revealed it to me too and maybe there's some of you here today who go actually I don't know that yet I'm not convinced what I'd encourage you to do is read through John's gospel just read it and and, and you don't need us to explain things although we're happy to answer questions but just read it and ask God to show you who Jesus is he would love to He'd be delighted to convince your heart of who Jesus is. Because it's not something that we work out. It's not something we achieve. It's something he does for us. And our prayer as a church, as a community of his people, is that... He would continue to reveal more and more of who Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, the one who deals with all the past and equips us in every way for the future, the life to the full, all of that. He, He wants to help us to know him more. And our prayer is that as we come to know him more and more and more, that we would be like John the Baptist, able to go out in our workplace, among our friends, among our neighbors. And just point people to Jesus. Not that we're anything special. Because we're not. We're just a witness. We're just pointing to him. Through our baptism. Just pointing to him. Through our conversation. Just pointing to him. Because Jesus is the life changer. He came to change your life. Not like a little footrest hammock. And some light up slippers. But to deal with all the depth. Of all the heavy stuff within. And to give you the Spirit of God to bring you into life as it was intended to be. Let's pray, and then I'm going to explain communion uh, to us. Father, I just want to say thank you so much for this section of John's Gospel that we've read. We thank you that it points us to Jesus. Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus is the life changer and we thank you that that we can look towards him as we read this and we can think about all of the baggage in our lives, all of the inadequacy, all of the, uh, the emptiness, all of the loneliness, all of the lack that we're so aware of. And thank you that in Jesus we see a true life changer. One who can deal with sin, one who offers us life to the full in relationship with you our Father. We just want to say thank you for Jesus. And as we move into just a brief time of communion, would you stir our hearts? And for those here who um, are intrigued but are not convinced, Lord, we're so glad they're here. We pray that, that even as we take communion, that just thinking about Jesus dying on that cross, pouring out his blood when he didn't deserve that, I pray that even now by your spirit, you'd convince all of our hearts of who Jesus is.